Welcome to episode 17 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm Rob, your host, and uh, we're recording this episode on Monday, July 8th, 2019. This week, we're going to be doing a special segment on the show, our top five iconic Star Wars moments. And to help me along with that particular topic, I've got Tom and Michelle from the Hyperion Adventures podcast joining me this week. Tom, Michelle, thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank you. We appreciate the offer to have us join in. Always great to join you on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, Rob. Yeah, it's always great to have you guys. And uh, just for our listeners out there, I want to let you know I'm fighting a little throat thing. Uh, So if I sound a little bit off this week, I apologize, but there's uh, not much I can do about it. And we were so excited about this topic that we just wanted to kind of press on despite that. So Without further ado, we will go ahead and launch right into our main topic. Uh, Just to kind of give you a little bit of an idea on the layout, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go backwards from our fifth most iconic moment up to our first, and we'll just kind of rotate it between the three of us. And once we're done, I did open this up to comment out on social media, and we did get some emails and other responses. So we will go through those and kind of talk a little bit about what other scenes people sent in. And uh, some of their reasoning behind that. Uh, I I think really the most difficult thing about doing a show like this is trying to winnow it down to just five scenes. No question about that. Uh, There's going to be a lot left on the cutting room floor for sure. Yeah, I I considered cheating at one point and putting in an entire uh, sequence, and I and I decided that was a little too over the line. Uh, <laughs> we I do it on I our podcast all the time, Rob. Feel I free know. to, to, to <laughs> I copy our style. The, the reality of it is, is, there were these crushing feelings of guilt when I saw some of the stuff other people had sent, and I didn't want to I didn't want to take up too many of their uh, their great submissions ahead of time. So. Um, we will just go ahead and fire this off, and I think it would be appropriate to uh, to have ladies go first. And Michelle, if you want to lead us off with your number five. Oh, wow. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I think you are correct on whittling it down to five was a task. And then uh, also equally difficult was trying to rank them. And Tom twisted my arm and made sure I didn't cheat like we do sometimes. So I really stuck to the five. So my number five is at the moment when Luke removes his five father's mask oh nice yeah that's a good one i like thank that one thank you thank yeah. you it's so kind of like to have that connection reveals from darth vader to anakin sky right. back to anakin skywalker yes doing his best uh, impression of what uh, looked to me as a child like humpty dumpty so true <laughs> clearly the man needs a membership to a tanning salon exactly so. but yeah like i said that one was tough you know at, at times i had that higher up in the list but um 
then I thought of other things and just said, but that, that seemed very iconic that, you know, it was the really the, you know, at the time in the final trilogy and the really connection with his father. Yeah. And it's that moment where you actually get to see the humanity kind of returning to Anakin Skywalker, basically uh, coming, coming back into the light uh, a little bit. And, uh, Luke actually being successful in his mission to redeem his father. Yeah, it's the redemption story fulfilled. Right. Yeah, yes. exactly. Tom, uh, do you want to go ahead and go next? Right. So as you mentioned, Rob, there were so many of these that it was really tough to go through them and figure out what I was going to use. So I decided that what how I'm going to judge this was kind of, I'm going to go with some of the iconic moments that made me feel a certain way when I saw them for the first time in the theater. Uh, because I saw, I've seen all these films in the theater. Uh, and so... I'm kind of going to rank them by that way. And not that any of these moments, there could be so many moments that I could put on here. There's so many great, iconic Star Wars moments. But I'm going to start with my number five. And it's going to be from one of the more recent Star Wars films. And that's when, near the end of The Force Awakens, when Kylo Ren is you know there and he's reaching for Luke's, sky, uh, Luke's uh, lightsaber that has kind of fallen in the snow. He's reaching it, trying to force grab it, and it whizzes by his head and lands in Ray's hand, and then she ignites oh. it. And apparently, this is on Michelle's <laughs> lip because I, I, after so many years of Star Wars being gone, and you know, it coming back into the theater, and that moment, the elation of it all, the excitement of it, the way the theater reacted to it, we were there for a late night, you know, first night screening of it uh it just brought so much to me back into that excitement that i get at a star wars movie yeah and i don't think there was anyone in the theater that didn't get goosebumps when that happened right absolutely so apparently i stole one from michelle here and and michelle if you have a backup available you are more than welcome to use it i'm not going to cut you out like that that. all right all right so we can we can still bend the rules a little I want you to. I want you to be in your comfort zone. Oh, thanks, thanks. <laughs> that is a good one, though. Obviously, because it made my list. Where would it have been on your list? Just curious. At third. Okay. I had it way up there. Right. You know, and, and like you said, it, with the sense, the feelings that you get, but you know, just kind of seeing the transition to Ray of this, and the fact that she didn't want to touch that lightsaber again. Right. And yet. But that it kind of willed its way to right. her almost. Yeah. What do you think? I love that pick. So for for me, my number five actually was from, again, uh, as Tom had done, a newer film. Uh, this one is actually from Rogue One. And it's the moment when, uh, you know, Jen has made her impassioned plea for the Rebel Alliance to mobilize and, and go to Scarif and try to get the Death Star plans. And even within the Rebel Alliance, there's a lot of politics at play. And they basically determine that it's too big a risk and they don't they don't want to uh, push their luck with the Empire having a weapon like the Death Star. And so she kind of goes back and meets up with Chira and Baze and uh, is fairly dejected, thinking mm-hmm. that, you know, she's just not going to be able to pull it off. And Baze points behind her and she turns around and you've got uh, Cassian Andor and his group of rebel assassins and saboteurs. And Cassian gives that awesome speech where he's talking about the fact that all of them have done terrible things in service to the rebellion and and for the quote-unquote greater good, and that it would be unthinkable for them to feel like it was all for nothing. So within so much of Star Wars, you've got the Jedi, and they have these incredible powers that they can fall back on. And that particular film, with it being just your your regular foot soldiers and people who knew that there was a likelihood they weren't coming home from that mission and they still 
were willing to kind of lay lay it down and, and take that risk because they knew that without that, the rebellion uh, was going to get snuffed out. So that was that was definitely a huge moment in that film for me. Yeah, great scene yeah. and the huge scene. And by you should have seen Michelle's face as face as you were reading that off because apparently we've already stolen told two <laughs> of her picks. But I'm uh, prepared for yeah. all eventually. No, that was that, that that scene really. You know how how many do we need? You know, and uh, it was just so good. And them all standing up there and ready to do this, ready to you know, knowing they're possibly sacrificing themselves for what they believed in is it was an incredible moment for sure terrific uh, i think we'll go ahead with that and we'll circle back to michelle for her number four all right um so my number four is when senator amadala was asking anakin do you think we're on the wrong side you know starting mm-hmm. to question where they were putting their loyalties and was it deviating from what they originally thought were what they were trying to accomplish yeah that's an interesting point that's a kind of a uh, a small scene that shows a lot. And if you've watched the Clone Wars, uh, there's more doubt being spread throughout the Clone Wars about which side uh, they should be fighting on here. Uh, really, there's no true winner because these are all both sides were pitted by Darth Sidious right. a- against one another. But, you know, that was an interesting viewpoint for someone who is part of the Republic at that point, a Senator uh, realizing that maybe we're not exactly on the good side. Right. Right. Yeah. And clearly she wasn't force sensitive per se, but she still had those, you know, that intuition that served her so well as both the queen of Naboo and as a Senator. And she could sense that something was off with, with what was going on with the Republic so, you know, it's not surprising that she had that revelation, but like Tom said, I mean, there really was no winning side for either of those sides within that conflict. Right. Yeah, and if, like I said, if you've watched the Clone Wars series, uh, there is a, a few episodes where she is actually meeting with the Separatists, mm-hmm. and they're explaining to her why they believe that, that this side is the right side, and uh, you know, so I, I think she kind of gets that viewpoint, although, you know, this is obviously in the, the film version that has nothing particularly to do the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars came after this film actually came out, I, I, want, I believe, if I'm not in, mistaken on that. But, uh, you know, it's interesting that that viewpoint came across in both aspects of it. Right. Well, and it's an interesting uh, kind of commentary on how politics works in general, mm-hmm. where right? it, it's so much about the two sides polarizing and, and focusing on what's different between them as opposed to what common ground they may have. So mm-hmm. the reality of it is, is most of us have a lot more in common than than uh, we have that diametrically opposite. So That's a good everything is true from a certain point of view. All right, Tom, what's your number four? My number four, again, I'm going back to uh, scenes that made me feel a certain way when I first saw them in the theater, when I star, uh, saw, saw a Star Wars film in the theater. And I'm going to go right back to the original film, Star Wars, when I first saw it in the theater, the very opening scene after the scroll, when you're there, it pans down and you see this planet and then the Tantive Four. Didn't know the name of the ship at that time, but you see this little spaceship that looks pretty cool go across, and then suddenly this giant <laughs> Imperial Star Destroyer comes across, and you're just sitting there, and you knew right from the first few minutes of this film that you're seeing something that you've never seen before, something completely different. It was eight-year-old me going, my jaw hitting the floor, going, wow, what am I about to witness here for the next couple hours? And 
uh, that was definitely an iconic moment for me. And that star, that star destroyer is actually still flying across the screen as we say. Yeah, you, know. <laughs> <laughs> you ever watch Spaceball? Is it? They, they have right. made fun of it where it goes on forever. <laughs> Interesting little tidbit about that: that uh, the model that they used of that star destroyer, they never even finished the top right hand portion of it. <laughs> oh my god! Because it never makes it in a shot. Right. So wow, they, they only did enough of the model for the port parts of that particular star destroyer that we're going to be on scene. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that like a frustration? Like if you have Legos and you don't finish the entire... Oh, I think there's an entire Big Bang Theory episode about you know, things not being completed, but I, I would, it would drive me absolutely crazy. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So at some point, you're going back and breaking into the props room and finishing yeah. that off. Say, so Mr. Lucas, can I please finish that at home on my own time? I can't sleep. I can't eat. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no. It's, again, this, we're here to have a good time. So, you know, and it, for me, actually, my number four was also involving some crazy starships. And that was really the rebel fleet arriving at Scarif again from Rogue One. You know, the fact that my first two <laughs> favorite iconic moments from Star Wars being from Rogue One, I, I do love that film. But mm-hmm. um, not only the fact that the way that that was shot was so much in the vein of the original Star Wars, and it was kind of a a space battle that was Star Wars on steroids from everything right. that we'd seen previously. But I loved the little touches they put in there with the ghost appearing on scene for people who are fans of Star Wars Rebels. Um, and, you know, when they have the... X-Wings kind of flying through the superstructure of the shield gate there. Uh, And then they split off and you've got the ground battle and the space battle kind of going on at the same time. Uh, That whole sequence was just, uh, it gives me chills even now when I, when I rewatch that film. Um, This was the one that I was originally going to cheat on and kind of take that all the way (laughs) to the end of the film. But uh, I had to control myself a little bit. (laughs) I I can't steal everything. I also love the the little voice bits that they extracted from the original Death Star attack from uh, New Hope that they used it to kind of, you know, make... Bad leaders. Right, exactly. So they had so many of... It it felt like this was right before uh, A New Hope. Sure. Yeah, and actually you get to find out, you know, how Red 5 opened up for Luke, Mm -hmm. so... Exactly. um, You know, stay with your wingman. Yeah. All right, so that should bring us back to uh, Michelle and your number three, okay. if you have any left that haven't been taken. I, I do. <laughs> I've been scrambling here. No, I had yeah. a few few extras. So similar to kind of what Tom was talking about, this one was also kind of one of those scenes in the movie when you saw it on screen that evoked emotion, and that was Luke staring at the binary sunsets, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, and- now it's my turn. Payback. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Turnabout is fair play. I know. And actually, it was hard putting that one as three. I kind of wanted that higher up, but I, I think only just because, yes, it was a moving scene and something very unique at that time, too. But that that in and of itself, I thought, didn't promote something. It just, other than evoking what was the emotions of what was going on and what he was dealing with. You know, the interesting part thing about that scene, and I, it just actually struck me just a second ago, is that uh, you know, we've watched many things on uh, musicals and like on we've watched on Disney musicals. Mm-hmm. And there's always a they've, they've talked about there's always a song like the third song in or the fourth song in where the hero or heroine is there and 
they sing a song about what they want, you know, mm. and yeah, what they that was pretty much without actually any lyrics going on there. That's true. Luke staring off doing that I want song with uh, John Williams Orchestra swelling in true. the background, That's uh, a good point. you know, just in that moment in the very early moments of the film. Right. That's a good point. Well, uh, yeah, and the other interesting thing about that particular scene is, you know, for people that have really kind of gotten to the to the deep underpinnings of Star Wars, it really is based on Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. Um, and the very first part of that is yearning for adventure. And that scene mm-hmm. really encompassed, with, as Tom said, without a word being spoken, you mm-hmm. could just see that Luke's mind and his heart were out there. Right. Elsewhere in the galaxy, he wanted to go off. He wanted to have adventure. He wanted to do all these things that he felt like he was being held back from. And so from the standpoint of kind of fulfilling that particular uh, model of the hero's journey, that really was the launching point for his entire adventure. Yeah, no question about it. Just, yeah, I I actually should have been on my list because talk about iconic scenes. There's there's very few better than that one. uh, And that that music just rips, rips, you know, pulls at every heartstring. Right. Um, That mournful, you know, that's a great thing. I mean, John Williams and the amazing music he has Mm -hmm. that has been part of all these Star Wars films. But, you know, you can have the same theme that gets restated in multiple different ways mm-hmm. to evoke different emotions even and that's True. Um, something that he's really mastered exactly yes. exactly where so. did you have that on your list uh number three nice mm-hmm. yeah so there we go same z's same z's <laughs> My number three, I'm going to go completely the other way, and I'm going to go into Anakin and Obi-Wan's lightsaber duel on Mustafar, because um, that, the weight of that, one, I, I still consider it the best lightsaber duel. I mean, yes, of course, the Darth Maul... Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan mm-hmm. one is a great lightsaber duel, but as far as the weight upon it, the emotion that's involved in it, it still is, to me, the best lightsaber duel that we've seen within the Star Wars films. But like I said, there was just so much emotion going on. You know, the fact that they're literally in hell when this is mm-hmm. happening, uh, they're fighting, and it's these two brothers, friends, master and apprentice going at it and it just it weighs on you it's so heavy still to this day every time we watched it we rewatched it just a couple months ago when we were doing our star wars remembered series and i just felt it on my shoulders as i was watching that mm-hmm. part of the film and so that's why i included it on this list and exactly why i included it at number three on this list yep that is a great selection and interestingly enough you think about the end of that battle with an obi-wan telling anakin don't try it and then when Anakin actually did make the attempt, he removes both his legs and his one good arm. Uh, but it got mentioned to me, God, it was probably like a month and a half back, that that was essentially the same move that Obi-Wan had used on Darth Maul at the end of mm-hmm. uh, The Phantom Menace. And so he was keenly aware of exactly how that was executed and how to defend against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that I'd really never thought about before. Yeah. yeah. I remember you bringing that up on our episode where we talked about that. And I, yeah. that that was a very interesting point. That you brought up. Yeah. Of course, you always bring up ops. Yeah. Great points. So not a surprise That's there. Right. Couldn't tell you my bank account or, uh, or my phone number, but I've got all this useless Star Wars trivia. Priorities, priorities, my friend. Priorities. Exactly, exactly. We need to have like on a on a cruise ship where they do a, a Star Wars trivia day. Uh, and then... uh, the Star Wars Day at Sea, they do a Star Wars trivia at night. Oh, uh, you, you're all, right, all in. Let's do this yeah, thing. And, and, they do it, and they do it in a cantina, well, bar, but cantina, yes. So uh, I think we're all over that. <laughs> awesome. 
All right. So I, I that actually all gave me just enough time to uh, fit in a new number three. Nice. So <laughs> it was completely a stalling tactic. <laughs> but my number three uh, was originally, as I mentioned, going to be Luke staring off at the binary sunset. But the other one that kind of jumped to mind was when uh, Emperor Palpatine arrives at the Death Star 2 mm-hmm. uh, in Return of the Jedi. And primarily because, you know, up until that point, yeah, you've seen him in, in hologram form and you've kind of heard him talking to Vader. But Vader has been this character that has been firmly firmly established as being, you know, a, a terror to all the members of the uh, uh, Imperial military, and they hold him in such awe and fear. And the Emperor comes down the the ramp of that shuttle, and there's Vader on his knees uh, mm-hmm. with all the my master, right. and and it just goes to show you that you know this old withered deformed right. man who you're seeing clearly has got the upper hand on a person as fearsome as Darth Vader. So that was incredibly impactful and and actually one of my favorite scenes from Return of the Jedi. Totally understand that. The other interesting thing about that scene is compared to a scene that's earlier because they welcome Darth Vader in earlier and they basically have like a small regiment down there to meet him. Just, you know, a small group of soldiers to stand to welcome him there. When the Emperor comes in, like the, the entire ship is there to meet him. They have ships flying around, you know, to you know, celebrate him being there. The difference in welcoming, it just, and that's another thing that showed you how different their status was within right. the Empire, of course. And just the demeanor of the military officer who was giving the report to Vader about the right. fact that they were running behind on, you know, on the yeah. schedule for the Death Star. And Vader tells him, well, you can explain that to the Emperor when he arrives. <laughs> yeah. And the, oh, he, the Emperor is coming here. Yeah. Oh, we'll redouble the yeah. <laughs> You just see him stretch out his collar. Go, oh. uh-huh. <laughs> Three throat hugs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah now that, All right. that is a good nope. one. All right. It is. All right. Terrific. Um, Michelle, how, what do you got for number two? So number two, um, coming from episode six, when Jedi Luke is on the, the platform or on the plank there and he does his little salute and then jumps off and then springs back into battle. And, it, you know, kind of like, again, he's he's taking charge. He is not fearing things that in, in the past maybe he was shying from. He just is going all in and, and he had a, a, a marvelous plan and it, it, you know, and even though there were some twists and turns to some of it, it was still pretty iconic. Mm, right. You know, it's one thing with Luke is that he battled so many insecurities for so long. Mm-hmm. He, would, he would put out this brashness, you know, this young cockiness at times. Yeah. But he was very insecure in yeah. many regards. But he was very secure at that moment that what he was going to pull off there right. was going to work. Yeah. And he had, you know, his plan had layers within layers. I mean, they sent in. Lando kind of undercover. Right. Then they then they send in uh, the droids. Then they send in Leia disguised as Bausch. Yep. So I mean, they had all these contingencies in place, depending on if any particular strategy was going to be successful or fail. And even when you know he gets thrown the the twist of being dropped down into the rancor pit, he handled that without. You know, he was clearly a little bit concerned, but I, I don't think there was true fear there. Right. Um, and, you know, he handled that and just kind of moved on to the next phase of the plan. So he had all kinds of contingencies built in and, and it showed his confidence in terms of feeling like he was in control of any given situation. Right. right. Exactly. It just showed how much he'd grown over the uh, several episodes that mm-hmm. we'd seen him at that right. point. So definitely, definitely. 
Uh, my number two is we're going to go to uh, Empire Strikes Back. And my number two is not the moment you may think it is. It's actually the moment when Han's about to be frozen in carbonite. And it's, of mm. course, the <laughs> I love you, I know. And it all Because, one, it, 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 it strikes so many emotions all at the same time because this is happening. You can't believe, one, that this is happening to your, our heroes. You believe that someone's going to save the day at that moment. You don't know who, but you think something's right. going to happen. But apparently it's not. But it was both that that whole part was touching, it was funny, and it was heart wrenching. All at the same, you felt all those True. emotions right at that time, and you know Chewie being very emotional about his best friend, mm-hmm. and C three PO not being able to see because he's on Chewie's back. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, it just it was just an it's a crazy moment, and I I just feel it really deserves to be one of the most iconic of all time. It definitely defines, you know, Han Solo's mm-hmm. character. The, right. the fact that he's looking into the face of what could be death and his last comment is his cocky little, I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I believe uh, was not in the actual no. script. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, yeah he yeah. had lived that, at least yep. in one and of the again, takes, and they kept it. Yeah. Yep. Again, it's one of those things that they took scripts that George had written uh, that would have been difficult for anyone to deliver with any kind of conviction, and they managed to deliver the lines and make them believable, but then they also kind of threw in that little piece of themselves that really uh, made those characters the ones that we know and love. And now every other couple that you see at Disneyland is wearing, oh, or uh, Denny just Disney every Park other is, is wearing that shirt that says, I love you. And I know. Yeah. Yep. That is Absolutely. True. I'm glad that someone in Disney marketing figured that out. <laughs> well, those are, I, Some, I, I really will take those over those most expensive day ever shirts, which drive me crazy every exactly. time I see them. Yeah. So. I'm just here to pay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those drive me crazy every time I see them. So, um, yeah, I'll take those any day. But yes, good for Disney to, well, gee, Disney figured out marketing. That's surprising. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michelle, do you have anything you wanted to throw in on that one? Um, no, I think I think I agree that it was a real compilation of a lot of emotions. Um, I think having seen Solo again and thinking back at that, and again, the friendship of Chewie and Han, that you could really, I think if I were to watch it again right now, I'd probably cry. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it would bring a lot more. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that we never believed that they were close friends. We've seen them everywhere. But but just, again, kind of knowing more the history behind how it all started and in, in how it evolved. I think that would probably be almost as emotional as the fact that, that he and, and Leia were being separated. Mm-hmm. All the more reason for hashtag make Solo 2 happen. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which we do totally support. We do. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm shocked that I've only had one thing that has shown up on someone else's list so far. Yeah. We'll, see if, we'll see if I jinxed myself there. <laughs> <laughs> so my number two was also from Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and this was actually Yoda lifting Luke's mm-hmm. X-Wing out of the oh, swamp yeah. on Dagobah. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was super impactful and truly an iconic scene because that is really the first time that we get to see a Jedi's true powers and, and the degree to which they can manipulate things mm-hmm. through the force, mm-hmm. as well as the fact that, you know, there's that great exchange between uh, Luke and Yoda after Yoda has finished lifting it out of the swamp and actually even leading into it when when Yoda is basically telling him, you know, try not, do or do not, there is no try. And then after he's actually removed the X-Wing from the swamp and Luke's just standing there in disbelief and he goes, you know, I don't, I don't believe it. Right. And Yoda says, that is why you failed. Right. right. 
So it really goes to show you where Luke's mind is at at the beginning of uh, that particular scene. And then, you know, that kind of is what brings it full circle. When you get into Return of the Jedi and you see to what degree he has kind of come to terms with his powers and the things that he can do. Um, So that was just a great, it was a great scene and it was a great insight into why Yoda had actually been the Jedi Grandmaster and the degree to which he was truly in tune with the force. And, you know, as he says, you know, luminous beings are we. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's also interesting because the first time we even see that the Jedi can even manipulate force grab anything is earlier when he, when Luke is hanging in the Wampa cave, Mm -hmm. we've not seen anybody try to draw anything towards them until he's trying to get the light and he saw how much he was obviously he's not trained in the force so but he was struggling to try and get the lightsaber to come to him he eventually does you know gets him out and of course gee he does the jedi way and chomps the wampa's arm off (laughs) shocking um so do you see a fully trained jedi to be able to do as much as lift an entire starship uh, you know was it was incredible at that point and yeah the other the other thing that bears mentioning about that scene in the wampa cave is that you know it's been one of the downsides to the fact that now everything is in such ultra high def and when you get these movies occasionally back in the theaters you can actually see the China stamp on the face <laughs> of his saber. Oh, how funny. Um, so there are some things that, you know, they didn't kind of clean up when they had done <laughs> the more recent, you know, high def cuts of the movie. And uh, I, I, nice. I, I swore there was a Jedi temple on China. Yeah, <laughs> out of Rim Planet. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. China. It's China, actually. <laughs> Known to some as Octo. <laughs> <laughs> It's a new it's a new province. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Michelle, are you ready to throw your number one out there? I am. And um okay, so I guess it, moderate cheating in the sense that <laughs> it's, it's, it's I know. But I think I'll pick uh, I'll try to pick one, but it's more of a statement. And I felt like so much um surrounded this statement and it, it comes from Rogue One. And I'll I'll go with Jenner so saying rebellions are built on hope. Although I know that sentence was used more than once in that film. Yeah. So, but I think that kind of just the whole thing is all about rebellions and hope and change for better. And it, it's great that they capture. And then that. Leia later says, you know, when she gets the plans, right. you know, this provide, you know, she says it's hope. Right. Um, the new next film is a new hope. hope. Right. It's, it's all about hope. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, uh, that really has been kind of the theme of the more recent films. I know that was Mm -hmm. a major theme uh, within The Last Jedi as well. Uh, On to my number one, and it's... It's again, it's everything that it was eight year old me watching them fly down the trench at the Death Star in episode four and the drama of it all, the tension of it all. Right. You know, they had just blown up R2D2 and he's bearing down on Luke, even though the force was strong with this one. <laughs> And then suddenly Han Solo flies in and, you know, you first you just see a blast and you're like, what the heck happened? And then there's Han singing or, uh, you know, shouting Yahoo and well, you're all clear, kid. And then Luke closes his eyes, lets it go. Yeah. 
the Death Star explodes, and so did the theater, because <laughs> everybody absolutely lost it. We had just experienced something we had never seen before. It, it I not, not to this day, I've seen many movies that have had big emotional moments, even just to recently Avengers Endgame when the Avengers Assemble happens. Big emotional moments within theaters, but nothing will ever match that feeling of the first time seeing right. that sequence play out in, in the original Star Wars and, you know, now, of course, A New Hope, Episode 4. Terrific. Yeah, so for me, for, for my number one scene, uh, and this has kind of been one of my favorite scenes of all time, nothing has really risen as a planet in my mind, but when Luke and Vader finally confront each other uh, down in the carbon freeze chamber, mm. kind of in the bowels of Bespin, and uh, Luke ignites his saber, and Vader ignites his, and they cross sabers for the first time. It's it's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. one of those moments where sure. it's the culmination of everything that's been leading up to that point, and you're about to find out if Luke's training has been enough to to allow him to defeat Vader. And I mean, that says nothing of the fact that you know the the end of that fight is an iconic moment all right. on its right. own. But which I'm actually surprised um, it wasn't on any of our list. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, it did. Obviously, we've gotten a number of lists that got sent in by others that we will uh, jump to next. But yeah. it certainly makes some lists. But I, I think that in some cases, maybe we were kind of defending against having to do a quick swap replace. But right. I think um, right. It, maybe it, it was so obvious. Yeah. 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 It, it also goes to show you that, I mean, as we said at the top of the show, there are so many iconic moments in Star Wars and different ones speak to different people um, in different ways. So there's it's you know, it's very personal. Um, there's certain things I think we can all agree on. And then there's other things where, you know, I, I'm going to have a list here from uh, Kim who put together her own list and mm. uh, submitted it to me, which was very kind of her. And Kim is my wife, for those of you who don't know. But, um, you know, she had some really insightful selections on her list and certainly things that I think when I read them off, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, I could totally see mm-hmm. that. But right. and, and some of the lists that we got, you know, had moments from outside of the actual films themselves and i didn't really restrict it to films only mm-hmm. the only reason i did it for the purposes of my list was just because if i start wandering off into rebels and the clone wars i'm at five is never going to be even right. I, <laughs> exactly <laughs> plus you might make somebody feel like they're a jerk <laughs> exactly that we are we are going to steer clear of that at all costs so and we know that this is the podcast where it doesn't make you feel like a jerk. <laughs> and and I have the, I had <laughs> Michelle, you don't understand that is a great a great slogan. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to start putting that in all my all my marketing and made it on my Facebook description today. So. Oh, that's too funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're gonna be immortalized. <laughs> Well, on another note, now, that number one picklet, though, was really, really amazing. And if you think back the very first time you saw that film, you really didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was a mystery. I, mean, I think we've gotten kind of dulled by watching these films over and over. But the very first time you oh, saw yeah. that battle about to begin, you didn't have any clue what was going to end up happening and, and it did take twists and that's what's great about these films well and also you know i mean uh just going back to that point and i yes we want to get to kim's list here in a second but uh you know the fact that vader was so you know had no doubt that he was going to win this that he was battling with one hand for mm-hmm. you know at least to begin with until he realized that you know luke was putting up a little bit of a battle there even call, you know impressive you know uh and finally he, he realized he had to pull out a few more stops to stop luke there 
You know, and the other thing about it is that when I first watched that, you know, knowing there was going to be another film in the trilogy and Mm -hmm. your assumption was that neither of them were necessarily going to be killed, but you figured there was certainly a a better than average chance that someone was going to be pretty severely injured. And Mm -hmm. to have Luke actually get injured and then to have that psychological uh, wound inflicted on top of that Mm -hmm. as Vader makes his reveal it just it put Luke in that position where he had two options at that point. He could turn to the dark side, mm-hmm. join Vader, or do what he did, which was to just let go of that catwalk and uh, kind of fall into the bowels of Cloud City, and right. you know, knowing full well that that could be the end of him. And so it was it was incredibly heavy. Um, right, right. And again, the, the the end of that film was another one of those where, you know, you know, it's kind of like Avengers Infinity War. Like, the good guys didn't necessarily win that one. They survived, you know, not so much Infinity War, but yeah. in that one, they, did, they survived, but you didn't feel good about their place, really, and right. what was going on, you know. They, they tried to make it as positive as possible, but you could tell it's like, ooh, we took a big hit right. during this one, yeah. Yeah, actually, I was listening to a Clashing Sabers podcast, and uh, I've got a list from Brandon, who is one of the hosts of that particular podcast that I'll be bringing up here in just a few minutes. But uh, they had just done a review of Empire Strikes Back, and one of the things that they were talking about there was really how that embodied that entire uh, scene, but also that the cliffhanger that they left that film on with the good side, the good guys not winning and, mm-hmm. and ending on that kind of high was very risky at that particular Mm -hmm, time. mm -hmm. It wasn't something that they did in film. And it was really a a massive risk, especially when you consider that George Lucas had all of his profits from uh, the initial Star Wars film that had been turned around and sunk back in Empire Strikes Back, which again went over budget. This was not him gambling with house money. This was him gambling with his personal um, fortune that he had made in that first movie. So um, it was it was an incredible risk on so many levels mm-hmm, and sure. one that I think has paid off. I mean, this is it, certainly in the top two or three, right. if not the top pick for right. most people's favorite Star Wars. Film. And it did in the long run. But there were a lot of people to begin with that are like, you know, what did we just witness here? You know, they weren't really happy with how this all turned out and what was being left there, you know, to begin with. I mean, it all developed eventually and but right. you know and it was obviously it was there was great critical acclaim to it but there were some fans out there that weren't thrilled with how the empire strikes back finished out and where they put all their favorite characters at that point right. uh, you know again it, you know you, you get to uh, return of the jedi and it fills in the gaps it makes right. up the difference in it it's more of a feel good and it makes that be more of the crux of the story but at the moment when they first walked out of the theater there were a lot of people that are like what did i just see yeah absolutely and again that just goes back to the fact that that was not that's not what they did in movies at that time. Mm-hmm, right. um, it was all about, you know, that third act ending on a big high mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, folks walking out of the theater, smiling and laughing and feeling like they'd won a victory. And in this case, it was very much not that case. Yes. Exactly. Exactly right. Terrific. So let's get all to right. Kim's list. I want to hear Kim's list. Yeah. Yes. All right. So we've got a list here from my wife, Kim, and her number five pick was... Ben and his uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and his last words to Luke on the Death Star kind of as he was leaving to deactivate mm-hmm. the tractor beam and Obi-Wan basically saying, I'm going to, I'm going to go off and do this on my own. And Luke wanted to go with him. And he told him, no, no, you know, your destiny lies mm-hmm. down a different path than mine. And mm-hmm. if you don't uh, stay here and carry on, then other systems will suffer the same fate as Alderaan. So 
that was kind of, mm, you know, that it, it epitomized the fact that uh, Obi-Wan and even at that point, we didn't truly know his full backstory with mm-hmm. the Republic and, and the fledgling rebellion. But he was willing at that point to risk his life to go on this mission and, and free Luke to be able to go on walking his path. Right. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. Uh, and Obi Wan, no, if you if you've watched uh, some of the Clone Wars, if you've watched Rebels, he knew that uh, you know maybe it wasn't Anakin that was the chosen one. Maybe it was Luke. And I don't know if either are really true, but you know there was that speculation out there that maybe Luke was the one. Yep. And uh, again, I think there's a lot of debate about you know who the chosen one actually could be. Uh, uh, you know, there's certainly an argument to be made for Anakin actually being the chosen one. Mm-hmm. But as Yoda said, a uh, prophecy misunderstood. Right. Uh, it could be where it was really, ultimately, Anakin did bring balance to the Force. He he got the Jedi numbers down there to, mm-hmm. to the level where they were pretty much even-handed with the Sith. So. True, true. All right. So her number four pick was uh, Jen Orso and her defiant statements to uh, Director Krennic, mm-hmm. kind of at the top of the Scarif mm-hmm. Tower. Uh, where she's basically making her little speech to him about how my father put a fuse in the center of your machine, and I'm just told the entire galaxy how to light it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so a, again, yeah. it it's that recurring theme of you know this this character who is basically willing to die for their beliefs and to bring hope to the galaxy by giving them a way to defeat this battle station that the Empire has constructed that's capable of destroying planets. Right. Well, and you know, and somebody who. The seeds were planted in her since a child about how to fight for what's right. And she didn't seem to follow through on that based on things that were happening to her. And then, you know, full circle, she's realizing, yes, I I have to be a part of this fight, Mm -hmm. you know, and and she couldn't resist anymore, you know, kind of like the fiber of what she was or what her, the basis of her was. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, so Kim's number three was actually the scene in Empire Strikes Back where, you know, Luke and Han are missing. Uh, no one knows where they're at. And the temperature is dropping rapidly, and the base commander is basically talking to Leia about how, you know, we need to close the shield doors. And it was just really a situation that epitomized who Leia was that uh, despite the fact that these two men who she was confused to some degree about her mm-hmm. feelings about, but she clearly felt very strongly about both of them. And she was going to do what was right for the Rebel Alliance. And it was more important than any one or two people. Uh, so the strength of character that she had in ordering those uh, shield doors to be closed at Echo Base there mm. uh, just really spoke volumes to who she was as a person and, and her commitment to uh, the rebellion. And we end up seeing a lot of that same type of commitment to the resistance in Force Awakens right. uh, and again in New Hope. So she is always going to do what's right for the for the movement um, over any individual person. No, that's true. I mean, and even in the future, you know, like this is not me coming up with this, but just in watching, you know, a lot of the extras that came out of episode seven is that part of Ben's issues was that because she was so involved in the politics of everything and in doing what she felt was right for the rebellion, that she really sometimes missed the mark of being the mom. Yeah, for sure. Tom, any thoughts on that one? I I completely agree with the sentiment on all sides of that. You know, I mean, she always did. I mean, that's why I think she's one of the, if not the greatest hero, actually, in Star Wars. Definitely one of the top two or three is because of the fact that she committed her life to 
uh, being there to save the universe to being there to, you know, even at the fault of, like you said, Michelle, her son, her family, uh, whatever. She was there committed to make sure the right thing was done as often. And the other part of that scene, that is when they do close the doors, Chewbacca's mournful howl, of right. afraid that he's never going to see his best friend again, sure. you know, and, and, and arguably uh, Luke as well, you mm-hmm. know, uh, it, it was really a, a tough moment. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so what you're saying is she is the shield that guards the realms of men? <laughs> there you sorry, go. that's Nailed wrong. It. <laughs> <laughs> wrong show, sorry. Different genres, but we're, exactly. it all works. <laughs> All right, so Kim's number two was, and this is actually a great one, uh, Luke and Leia swinging across the chasm in the Death Star Ooh, in A New Hope. Right. Uh, and that was a, it was just kind of a, a cool scene, all told. You know, the two of them are out there. The catwalk controls have just been destroyed by Luke as he closed the uh, the shield door there, or the blast door. And the other thing about this scene is it was really kind of a, a call back to the genre that, Lucas was drawing from when he made Star Wars in the first place, you know, those swashbuckling mm-hmm, adventures. Right. I was uh, say exactly the same thing. Yep. Yep. So it was just very much, uh, you know, uh, an homage to, to some of the earlier, you know, the Errol Flynn films and uh, things that inspired his childhood. And it was, uh, it was just one of those scenes that when you think Star Wars, it's hard not to think about that. Yeah, exactly. Scene. It was in all the trailers leading into that film when it first came out. And so you you know, you were expecting it, but at the same time it was important when it happened. De- yeah, definitely one of those scenes you remember right. always. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and amazingly, I think they did that in one take. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yep. That is impressive. Which I, I, I can only imagine that that's probably all they wanted to do, but yeah. <laughs> can't do our show in one take so i don't know how you can do that accomplish that Uh, yeah yeah tell me about it (laughs) hashtag post-production yes (laughs) hashtag editing skills oh no kidding (laughs) and i am envious of yours all right so kim's number one was luke and ben meeting up with han and chewbacca in the cantina um Mm -hmm. on tatooine there in a new hope and for her that was Again, the cantina mm-hmm. scene in general is just mm-hmm. an amazing scene. Uh, it's one of the earliest statements in the film where you just realize you are not in Kansas anymore. Right. Uh, and you've got all these incredible aliens and everything around. But, uh, you know, that whole interplay between Khan and Ben kind of negotiating passage and Luke flipping out about right. the cost. <laughs> I'm going to buy my own ship for that. Uh, and also the fact that this was kind of the introduction to what became one of the only ships you'd ever think of that's actually a character in its own right, mm-hmm. which is their their first experience with the Millennium Falcon. So, true. yeah. And by the way, Michelle will, to this day, like if we go up to bed and she wants to put uh, a new hope on as we drift off to sleep, she will fast forward to the canteen scene. She will never skip the canteen scene. scene. (laughs) For some reason, we're watching it and she's missed it. She's going to back that thing up because she wants to see the canteen scene. It's the best. It's it's no coincidence, I think, that one of the places that they will do reservations for uh, within Galaxy's Edge right. prior to you even getting into the into the parks is yes. that you can get that reservation for Oga's Cantina mm-hmm. and you don't see quite as many aliens uh, within the Disney parks. I don't know, have but... you seen some of the people in Disney parks? <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, I was trying to be polite. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, ma'am, sir. Right? No costume. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, when you're in Oga's Cantina, and I guess this is a little bit of a spoiler, so if you 
don't want to know. So just give it. Uh, there is a point when uh, that song, the the main song, the cantina song, breaks out and everybody yeah. erupts in the yeah. cantina because <laughs> it's, it's, it's there's something that leads up to it and then it happens and it's great. You just gotta hope that your 45 minute stint is at the right, right spot. Exactly. In the loop, right? We went there twice and we but we we were lucky the second time to be able right. to witness it. Yeah, so. that's very very cool. Awesome. So that pretty much does it for my wife's selections, but Those we were great. very fortunate. We got some great submissions from uh, some of our listeners. Um, and I'm going to start off with uh, Brandon, who sent in his list. Brandon, as I mentioned earlier, uh, is the one of the hosts of the Clashing Sabres podcast. Um, definitely go out and check them out. They can be found at clashingsabres.net and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Clashing Sabres. And Brandon's number five was Luke walking through the fire to confront the first order in the last Jedi. Mm -hmm. So that again was a goosebump Mm -hmm. scene for sure. I still, to this day, when I watch that scene, it drives me crazy that I didn't pick up (laughs) on on all the hints that were there. And I'm not going to go into what I'm specifically talking about for anyone who hasn't seen the film, but it's very M night Shyamalan, <laughs> Shyamalan, yeah. uh, like in the sense that, you know, if when you watch the movie again, you're picking up all these little uh, clues as to yeah, what was it's, coming. It's yeah. obvious but, after you watch um, it again, yeah, but uh, yeah. the first time you see it, you're like, why, why does yeah. it look like that? What's yeah. going on? Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, so that's definitely a great yeah, scene. That um, is. Number four, Brandon's pick was Leia's message to Obi-Wan, the help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope, uh, within uh, Ben Kenobi's little hut there on Tatooine, which, again, is just, it got brought back in The Last Jedi uh, by R2 Mm -hmm, when he was uh, basically trying to (laughs) guilt Luke into (laughs) getting back in the fight, which I thought was uh, a great nod to that particular Mm -hmm, moment. But, you know, that was uh, was just a great scene, and that hologram was incredible. the time. Right. Being being able to see something like that in a theater in 1977, yeah. um, you had no frame of reference for that, and it was done so well yeah. uh, that that was you know, that's the great thing about Star Wars in general. You felt you really felt like you were mm-hmm. dealing with people who had this advanced technology. It right. all seemed so everyday and uh, commonplace to them. So well, and the impassioned speech that she makes within that—it's not just you know. I mean, yes, you you know the classic line, "Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope." But the whole speech is very impassioned, and it's it's really important to what is going on and lays out the detail work of what's to come. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. So uh, again, one of the things I should mention here is the the logo for ClashingSabers.net is Ahsoka with her mm, sabers crossed yeah. behind her back, parrying Darth Vader's blow from behind. Mm-hmm. And so obviously they have a deep love of Ahsoka Tano. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already done one episode on her, and I believe we're going to have uh, Brandon or try to get Brandon on with us when we go back and do our part two of uh, our Ahsoka series where we cover kind of the post-Clone Wars Ahsoka. So keep an eye open for that. But uh, the next couple that he sent in are both related to Ahsoka Tano. So uh, number three was Ahsoka walking away from the Jedi that Order. nearly made to- my list. Yeah. Yep, and I totally agree. Um, like I said, I kind of had to draw the line and not get mm-hmm. into Clone Wars and Pebbles mm-hmm. and um, some of these, uh, some of the books or things uh, that are out there that I could have drawn from. But this is a scene from Clone Wars Season 5, and... The thing about that is that it really goes to show you the incredible strength that Ahsoka had. I mean, this was 
the Jedi were the family that she had been raised with since she was a, a very small child, right. and it was the only family she knew, and uh, they had taught her everything that defined who she was had come from the Jedi Order. And, uh, you know, as Brandon said, it was it was just an indication of the level of strength that he aspires to someday have mm. to be able to do something that just takes that strength of will. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. that is an amazing episode. Right. Uh, again, Tom and I have said it ad nauseum on this podcast, but if you have not seen The Clone Wars, if you haven't checked out Star Wars Rebels or Star Wars Resistance, definitely consider putting those on your watch list. I know some of them are hard to get right now. But once uh, Disney Plus comes out on November 12th of this year, uh, you should have access to the entire series. And it is completely worth your time watching both of those or all three of those. And that scene that you're uh, referencing there is it's just so heartbreaking, you you know, and you could tell it's heartbreaking for all the characters involved. Ahsoka knows she needs to leave, but you can tell that there's part of her that's like, oh, I really shouldn't be doing this, but I need to do this. Meanwhile, Anakin is pleading for her to stay. Right. And, you know, but he also understands what she's doing and knows that, uh, you know, they both haven't seen eye to eye on what the, the, the council is doing at that point. And that just the whole, the, you know, again, I mean, it goes with Star Wars again, the musical score behind it and everything. It If you haven't watched it, uh, Clone Wars and if it doesn't bring a tear to your eye as you're watching this all happen, it really, you need to watch it more in depth because right. mm-hmm. it is an amazing, amazing scene. And I, I nearly had it, I, I had it on my list at one point and I decided to go a different direction. It's iconic to those who know it, but there's so many people who have never experienced the Clone right. Wars that don't know it. But yeah, you should. Uh, when it, just like you said, Rob, when it comes out in November, go watch the Clone Wars if you're a Star Wars fan. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, she is, as we mentioned in that Ahsoka episode, uh, definitely go back and listen to it if you have not. But she is really kind of one leg of the Holy Trinity that kind of guides Anakin's life. And Mm -hmm. as each of those legs kind of gets cut out from under him, that uh, is a big chunk of what leads to his Mm -hmm. fall. So, but as Tom said, I mean, this is a testament to Ahsoka's perception that uh, there were so many things that were taking place within the Clone Wars that were major warning signs that there were things wrong with the Republic, that right. there were things wrong with the Jedi Order. And she was one of the very few that actually picked up on those and was able to, in a lot of ways, change her destiny. Right, right. Well, and just, you know, like, again, with what's great about these stories, if you put yourself in their shoes and you question yourself, would I have the strength to make that big of a change in my life for what I believe, you know, and especially, although I think she felt very confident of her skills, I don't know that she always felt confident of herself. Mm -hmm. And, and this kind of like tested her in so many different levels. Yeah. And again, that is why I'm very much looking forward to part two of our Ahsoka series, because you start to get to see that Ahsoka is at peace with who she is and the power that comes from that um, and the things that she's able to accomplish are just uh, incredible as she kind of comes into her own as not a Jedi, but um, but definitely as a force wielder for the light. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So as I mentioned, uh, Brandon uh, had two picks related to Ahsoka, and the second one is basically the the scene that uh, was turned into the Clashing Sabers logo, which is uh, Ahsoka and Vader facing off uh, within Star Wars Rebels in the episode Twilight of the Apprentice, which is the series two or the season two finale. 
and she is engaged in a battle with Vader trying to buy time for uh, Ezra and the crew of the Ghost or the members that were in the temple with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, giving them time to escape. And as she's kind of helping them get away, she's got her back to Vader and he comes uh, at her from behind to attack. And she kind of, you know, has her sabers reversed over her shoulder uh, in the shape of an ax and catches his blade. So um, it's just, as we mentioned before, there are so many impactful mm-hmm. moments within the animated series. And this is certainly one of the, one of the uh, major ones because ultimately the the door on the room that they're in slams shut and you don't really get to see the culmination of that battle uh, until much later in Star Wars Rebels. So there's a mm-hmm. huge question at, at hand about whether Ahsoka has survived um, her confrontation with Vader and what she then figures out is is her old master, Anakin. Yeah. yeah. So much so Dave Filoni did a shirt change. Yeah. At, uh, I, I think it was Star Wars Celebration. I'm not sure if it was Star Wars Celebration or Comic-Con, but one of the two where he did a shirt change because yeah. people were questioning on whether Ahsoka was still alive. And you can, if you want, I'm not going to give it away, but you can look right. that up if you yeah. want to. That's cool. Uh, but uh, that moment, and you know, the fact that she thinks she knows who Darth Vader is, but doesn't really know, but then it's confirmed. Right. And there's just so, it's, it, it's another... I, you know, it's similar to my moment with Obi-Wan and Anakin. It's very similar in feeling, just in a shorter duration, uh, to actually have that happen. And uh, mm-hmm. there is a lot of weight in that mm-hmm. in that lightsaber duel. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, again, she makes a statement to him that, you know, then Anakin Skywalker, you know, is not alive anymore. And she says, well, then I will avenge him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, revenge is not the Jedi way. <laughs> she just turned. Right. Yeah. So good, I yeah. am no Jedi. Yeah. So, yes, it was it was a great scene. And again, there there were advantages to her leaving the Jedi Order. She was able to more freely act in a way that she found to be in line with what was the right thing to do. Yeah, was. A little more of the gray side of a Jedi, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, right. yeah. I love, I love the whole concept of gray Jedi. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, Brandon's number one pick was Luke throwing his lightsaber away uh, as opposed to killing mm-hmm. Vader mm-hmm. in the throne room uh, aboard the Death Star 2. And, you know, his feelings about that particular scene was that uh, it really sums up what Star Wars is all about, mm-hmm. that, having those moments in your life where you have mm-hmm. to make a choice to do the right thing or the wrong thing. And, uh, the ends not always justifying the means. Mm-hmm. And, and Luke makes that decision to throw away his lightsaber, uh, and completely deny turning to the dark side. And there's a whole realm of thing that you can go into, uh, with return of the Jedi and, you know, Luke's dark clothing, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and kind of, you know, at the end of Return of the Jedi, as he opens the the neck of his black combat suit and you see the white lining, mm-hmm. it's very, uh, very reflective of the fact that, you know, a lot of that movie he's toying with kind of coming perilous, perilously close to turning to the dark side or, or taking a path that might lead him there. And that moment in Palpatine's throne room. With the Emperor goading him on, mm-hmm. he he has the strength of character once again to to just see where where he is headed and and to pull himself back. And again, you know, his mechanical hand and Vader's mechanical hand right. uh, kind of are what seem to snap him out of uh, mm-hmm. snap him out of yeah. that. But just a great a great scene. And mm-hmm. you know, again, here we are. We're four or five lists uh, 
five lists, I guess, down into uh, this review. And some of the scenes that you would have assumed would have been on multiple lists mm-hmm. have not even shown up yet. Right. But you cannot argue with the, the no. selections that right. people have made. Absolutely. There's so many iconic scenes. Yeah. That's what made this really difficult to, to narrow yeah. it down. And that, that's why I went to, I had to figure out how I was going to approach it, you know, because right. uh, you can just go on listing them for days. You could li- we could have gone through a top 50. We'd be here forever. But we could have been doing a top 50 and we'd probably still be leaving All right. So our next list comes from Tony with the Disney Discussions podcast. Um, You can find them at DisneyDiscussions.com and also on uh, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Just give a a look up to Disney Discussions podcast. But Tony's list, uh, the first selection that he had, uh, number five, was the Chewie We're Home moment Mm. uh, from The Force Awakens with Han and uh, Chewbacca finally tracking down the Millennium Falcon. And even though, you know, at that point, you didn't even realize that it had been that long without that ship being in their possession, uh, it was still, that was obviously included in the trailers. But, uh, you know, even knowing it was coming in the film, it still gave me chills. Yeah, it did. But in the trailer... Um, it wrecked me every time I'd watch it, you know, for so many, I, I, I remember at the, I was at for, for a time, uh, if you would go to Disney California adventure park and, uh, they had the world of color and they would actually play the trailer within the world of color. And it would wreck me in the middle of world of color when that scene would come on, because it's still to my, this day, one of the best star Wars trailers that I've ever made. Yes. Of course, in the film, it was fantastic, mm-hmm. but just at that more point, because we were so excited to bring star Wars back and that was part of that trailer. Right. Uh, yes, iconic, absolutely. Yeah, perfect. Awesome. Uh, his number four pick was uh, very much in line with the one that Tom had mentioned as part of his list with the Battle of the Heroes with Anakin and Obi-Wan mm-hmm. uh, within Revenge of the Sith. Um, and I imagine for many of the same reasons, I mean, that that battle was, first, it was just an amazing lightsaber right. duel, but uh, obviously you had seen the relationship that these two had, and there was a heavy emotional component to that. Um, and it really just kind of served to highlight the tragedy of what had happened right. to Anakin. I mean, just the dialogue between the two of them, you know, that they were really just very vulnerable to each other of what they were going through. And, mm-hmm. you know, that this was not something that either of them necessarily wanted to do, but felt the need to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how it played with the scenery and what was going on there and everything being very fiery. And, you know, it, it just had all the elements of a perfect scene. Absolutely. All right. So uh, Tony's number three was the battle and attack of the clones between Yoda and Count Dooku, <laughs> um, which, again, is another scene that we have not had brought up. But uh, again, you knew that Yoda had an incredible mastery of the force. He was the Jedi Grandmaster. Uh, but we had not really had an opportunity to see Yoda in battle before. And again, I mean, Count Dooku with his one-handed style and his very artistic flair with his lightsaber, it was just it was super cool to see the two of them kind of going at it. Um, and it was uh, the type of fight that we'd never really seen before uh, in any Star Wars movie with Yoda kind of flipping and bouncing around. Mm-hmm. I still think my my first impression of that was between a cheering that this was happening and a laughing at the style of Yoda flipping all over the place because I couldn't believe what was going on before my my eyes, you know. Although I do remember in the theater when that happened, I mean, everybody just roared in applause and it was just Mm -hmm. amazing to see. And, you know, 
I guess being vertically challenged, I kind of understand you that you to have that. to come up with another way to fight. <laughs> another, another tactic. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is you were both uh, in awe of what was going on, but you were also studying. It. Yeah, I take notes. Yeah. Absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> you should see her flip around the house. It's amazing. <laughs> Don't piss I, me I, off. <laughs> I heard that there was actually a scene that they cut out of Attack of the Clones, which was Yoda stretching for about 15 minutes. <laughs> Just warming up here. I got to get the kink yep. out. <laughs> All right. So uh, the next one. So what I'm learning from Tony's list is that he's clearly a fan of the lightsaber duels. Uh, So his number two pick was Kylo and Ray teaming up uh, to Mm. fight off uh, Snoke's Praetorian guard Mm. uh, in The Last Jedi within the throne room. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm torn on that one personally uh, because I made a mistake of kind of watching a, a breakdown of that particular oh, fight scene. You should never do that. Oh, I know. <laughs> but just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. I, I know that he has my wife's full support because she loves that scene as well. Um, and again, it was it was cool seeing the two of them uh, join up, even though you had to believe that it wasn't going to turn out quite the way that Ray hoped. But it was it was definitely an incredible fight scene. Yeah. Although, you all, you know, I mean, it didn't. But the other thing, too, was fearful, like, oh, what other way could this turn out? And, oh, yeah. you know, and it was like, oh, I'm glad this is happening, but maybe not how it's happening. Or <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure they all both thought that it was going to turn out a different way than what the end result mm-hmm. was when it was all said and done. But uh, it was an exciting fight scene for yeah. sure. And I'm then, I guess mostly because I didn't break it down on video. <laughs> to see where all the flaws were. <laughs> I just Smart. And, and don't. I, you know, again, I can't argue with any of the assessment of the fight, but there's some things that once you see them, you can't unsee them. Right. So I, know. I know. I know. All right. So, uh, and Tony's number one. Uh, finally. Thank you, Tony. Uh, all of us have dropped the ball, but you're finally picking it up for us. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, yeah. the moment where Vader re- reveals that he is Luke's father. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I am your father. Right. Which I might actually be able to pull off a good Vader today. With my throat, you know? <laughs> Very nice. No, I am your father. <laughs> it's pretty Perfect. Good. It's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, definitely. I, I was, I, I am part of the reason it wasn't right. on my list because I just assumed somebody else was going to drop yeah. it in there. So, thank you, Tony for yes. bringing that in because uh, yeah, it definitely deserves to be on the list for sure. Right. Yeah. And it does show up in, in a couple of these lists and I'm doing them in a specific order. Um, uh, the next list that we're going to move on to was submitted by uh, Amy, who is one of our longtime listeners. I know she's a longtime listener of the Hyperion Adventures mm-hmm. podcast right. and one of your uh, OG Hyperion Adventures. Yes. But yes. I was incredibly impressed. Amy, I think I put this out there kind of late afternoon uh, evening Um over the weekend and she responded within about an hour and a half, I think it was. (laughs) And it revealed that this had been a dinner discussion for them that evening. So I am honored that our podcast uh, is worthy of family dinner conversation. (laughs) Um, It was Amy, her husband, Tony and their son, Preston, who I know is a huge fan of the, the clones and all things clone related. So uh, it's going to be interesting to kind of take a look at their list. Now, there were three of them. So uh, I'm a little torn on this list because I think there's like 20 things on it. Um, You only get 15. Yeah, I figured if if we did some of these other lists, you know, we could winnow it down to 15 um, and, and make sure that they get fully represented. So 
we will just start down the list. And what I'm going to do is, you know, I'm going to kind of just, I'll hit on everything they've sent in, but the ones that we haven't already talked about, we'll, we'll open up for discussion. So uh, the first, and these are in no particular order. Uh, the first one was the, I, I am your father mm-hmm. uh, scene at Empire, at the end of Empire Strikes Back, where Vader reveals he's Luke's father. We just discussed that with Tony and his list. So the next pick that they uh, sent in was actually Preston's number one pick. And it is when Chancellor Palpatine executes Order 66. Mm-hmm. So again, heavily clone related. Mm-hmm. Right. So got to give it to Preston for uh, staying true to, <laughs> staying true to his true. boys. But yeah. not their finest moment. No. Yeah. Although some were able to avoid it. Yes, yes. Again, another reason to watch the animated series. Yes. But yeah, that is, uh, it's just, it's a great scene because it is the culmination of this grand plan that Mm -hmm. the Sith had had for years and years in which Palpatine was bringing to fruition. And he had created that whole situation within the Clone Wars where the Jedi fought side by side with these clones and they had come to trust them implicitly. Uh, so when they uh, were given this order that they could not refuse, it was just something the Jedi were completely unaware for, and they got cut down en masse uh, mm-hmm, across right. any number of planets and systems. Yep. Yeah, no, it was one of those things. It's like, no, that can't really be what they're saying. And, you know, again, with the film, it's like, are they really going to do this? It just, and you know, we've talked about the, the battle between uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin at the end of that film. And right. that, you know, this all just added to the weight right. of it. This start, this kind of really kicked it off mm-hmm. and, you know, it led to what the end result was, which was that uh, lightsaber duel. Right. Yep, absolutely. And uh, the next one uh, that they had submitted was, and again, I totally understand why you do this, uh, was the Battle of Hoth. The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I get it too. It's pretty good. Yeah. Again, another thing that you had never seen before and were totally not expecting. You know, we had no basis in uh, anything that we'd seen previously for these huge Imperial walkers Mm -hmm. uh, being deployed across the planet to destroy the shield generator and the rebels answering with their cobbled together snow speeders. Right. So it was uh, was just an iconic scene, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no part of it that I think I could watch Star Wars and do without. Right. right. I, Absolutely. I remember uh, I was I was lucky enough to have been able to see a, a sneak peek of uh, Empire Strikes Back a day or two before it actually hit the theaters. And ten year old me is out there and telling my schoolmates, you know, in the in the sandlot about these walkers and trying to explain it to them. They're like, "What? I know. I don't understand." Like you. You won't believe it when you see it. It's incredible, you know, and it truly is to this day. It's amazing. Now, the next item that they've got on their list is from Rogue One, and it is the hug on the beach between uh, Jen Erso and Cassian Andor on Scarif. Uh, you know, they're both battered and bruised and right. uh, know that they're basically have no no chance of surviving. And in the in the background, you can see the, uh, the blast wave mm-hmm. of the. Death Star uh, blast impacting there, and and uh, it kind of fades out to white as they get consumed by that blast. Right. So, again, it was another thing that you're not used to seeing in films, right? You've got this group of people that they do a great job of mm-hmm. of making you feel attachment to or feel like you're invested in, and not a single one of them ends up surviving that particular film, right? So. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, in such a short time, their relationship changed so dramatically in how they felt towards each other and responded to each other and appreciated each other that you felt like, oh, this is on a good track. And like you said, in, in a lot of films, things tend to get wrapped up and people are happily ever after kind of thing. Yeah. And that's not what we're facing. In a lot of films, they're riding off into the sunset. The sunset's not riding off into them. Yeah. And maybe we've seen too many Pixar films where everything, you know, like you can have catastrophe after catastrophe and things will turn out. It'll work out in the long run. <laughs> but not here. It did work out then. It did work just out. not for them. Right. And just, yeah. <laughs> not the best day ever for them. No. <laughs> and I will say, actually, this is the, the, perfect, the perfect spot for a shameless plug for your guys and your podcast. Uh, at some point later this month, we are going to be doing an episode on Hyperion Adventures where we review uh, Rogue One. Yeah. And it's part of their Star Wars Remembered series. So if you have not listened to that, go over there and check it out. Um, you can find them on pretty much any podcast network. I'll have them give their contact information at the end of the show. But definitely worth checking those out. Um, they're kind enough to let me guest on those. And we've had a lot of fun kind of breaking down uh, the movies in the order that they fit chronologically within the Star Wars mm-hmm. universe um, as we kind of build up to the rise of Skywalker. So we're having a lot of fun with that. Check it out. Um, make sure you give them a review. And... Um, Please don't tell them to not invite me back. Oh, no. No, we love it. We're honored when you show up yeah. and you bring so much to the, to the show there that we are very indebted and appreciative. Definitely. We did Solo, a Star Wars story a couple of weeks yeah. ago, and now uh, yep. just in a couple more weeks, or just like you said, Rob, we're going to do Rogue One. And yes, we're excited to have you on for each and every episode. Absolutely. But particularly this one. <laughs> I may just let you guys talk and I'll just kind of sit back and relax. Right, right. I know you do. I mean, I love Rogue One too, but I know you guys love Rogue One. Three-hour episode. Exactly. All right. So the next pick on Amy and and family's list is uh, the Kessel Run. So both talking mm-hmm. about it in the mm-hmm. early films and then actually getting, it, getting to see it kind of play out in Solo, right. she is in shock that we did not talk more about this on the solo review for Iberian. <laughs> um, but she is bound and determined to make sure that we make up for that by having this as part of her list. Excellent. That's a yep. good point. Yep. Yep. <laughs> we did uh, talk about the rounding down though. I think we did. Yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah. Yeah. Con- the new common core math. Right. There, right. Yes. That, that apparently that's where they got the idea for it was uh, star Wars. Right. <laughs> The next uh, submission from Amy and Tony and Preston is uh, the moment when Anakin takes his first breath as Darth Vader. And Mm. I think that certainly for a lot of us, that is one of the best parts of that particular film. Uh, And then he crushes the medical droid. (laughs) (laughs) Again. Well, it was interesting that that scene was in the trailers even. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was, you know, it's kind of like, wow, you're giving, you're doing that reveal. But, but you know, I mean, the one thing about that also is that the split second before that, it's the look in Anakin's face mm-hmm. as he sees the mask coming down on him. And you can almost see it in his eyes. He's like, this is mm-hmm. what my life is going to be now. Right. You know, yeah. he just has this mournful look mm-hmm. of, oh, I can't believe it's come to this, you know. Yeah. And, and fear. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically... It is, uh, it's, it's like they're giving him a juice box full of Sith juice because, yeah. you know, you've got the fear, you've got mm-hmm. the rage, you've mm-hmm. got the hate, you mm-hmm. know, 
And uh, it's all bottled up in that black armor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So uh, they did give a couple of items that were already discussed. The trench run, uh, the message to Obi-Wan. Amy had submitted one that was not the battle with uh, Ray and Kylo, but actually when the two of them are using the force to try to take the Skywalker lightsaber for their own, and they mm-hmm. end up ripping it in half. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Uh, which was actually a very cool scene, and I'm kind of looking forward to seeing if they address the repair of that lightsaber at all within uh, the Rise of Skywalker. I don't know if we just it's if it's already repaired when yeah. that starts. Or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think that's gorilla tape that they use. Yeah. <laughs> nice, but I can't be sure. It works on everything. That's right. <laughs> now, uh, one of the uh, things that was kind of cool about Amy's list is that they had included a couple of items that were kind of outside the films themselves uh, and came from the animated series. Mm-hmm. The first one being Ahsoka and Ezra, who uh, is one of the characters mm-hmm. within Star Wars Rebels, and the world between worlds mm-hmm. sequence uh, as Palpatine is basically trying to come through one of the doorways they've mm-hmm. opened and uh, they're having to battle back against that. And the other great moment from Rebels was Kanan Jarrus and his sacrificial mm-hmm, force mm-hmm. push as he's holding back an explosion uh, with the force. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up turning his attention on the ghost and, and force pushes them away to mm-hmm. save them from right. from death. So definitely just the epitome of uh, Jedi and self-sacrifice there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a huge moment yeah. and not an expected moment uh, when he starts the imagination right. when you first saw it. It really kind of caught you off guard. Yeah. You were not expecting, especially at that point in the series, for it to end in that way. Right, exactly. Yep. And then I do have one more list, uh, and this was submitted by Jacob, who is actually one of my coworkers and uh, has been listening to the podcast, and I much appreciate that. So uh, it's always nice to have someone that sits 20 feet away from me that I can go to if I'm looking for some input for an episode. And of his five items, three have already been mentioned, but the couple that I did want to throw out there, one was the scene between Han and Greedo uh, within the cantina in A New Hope, mm, yeah. uh, which which he identified as who shot first. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think, I think mm. that everyone on this podcast would say Han shot first, right. especially exactly. after uh, the events of Solo. Yeah. Um, he clearly has learned his lesson about not letting people get the drop on him. And obviously within canon now with the rework that they've done on A New Hope, they mm-hmm. seem to have pretty clearly defined that, that Han shot first. So, um, but still, that is a great moment. And yes. right away, you know, you've just met Han Solo and already you're kind of getting a feel for the fact that he is this, uh, you know, you, you haven't seen the the soft, fuzzy side of Han yet. Right. Uh, the scruffy looking nerf her side. But, uh, <laughs> Who's scruffy already, looking? <laughs> exactly. You've already seen that he is, uh, he's not going to let anyone get the upper hand on him and he's going to protect himself in whatever way that he deems is necessary. Right. And the other item that he brought up that I thought was great was the trash compactor scene. Uh, oh, with the, yeah. Again, in a new hope. Um, Amy had sent that in as her husband, uh, Tony's kind of PS pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, Jacob had already given it. So I want to give credit where credit is due. 
And that is just another great scene. Yeah, there's so many times in A New Hope where you're like, are they going to make it out of this mm-hmm, a lot? Right, right. And it's never a good thing if you have to worry uh, or rely on the professor uh, <laughs> to get you out of that, yeah, get you out yeah. of the jam. So there were so many different moving parts that you just weren't sure how that was going to play out. Mm-hmm, uh, right. And, and of course, the Dianoga. I thought they only lived in drinking fountains. But <laughs> apparently, they also live in trash compactors. So. And uh, just a note, when you eventually get to go to star wars galaxy's edge there's a number that's on all the trash cans out there that may just play a part in the <laughs> trash compactor scene nice yeah yeah but yeah always. you're right oh go ahead no no no. i was gonna say, I was just gonna say always good to know yeah that there's uh that there's additional detail within star wars galaxy's mm-hmm. edge that has some meaning exactly but yeah you're right that that scene itself had so many different layers and so many different things that were going on that even if you were trying to make a list you could list several of those things within that scene that mm-hmm. were iconic yeah absolutely and again i mean there are so many more that we have not had time to bring up today uh if you do want to submit a list to us, I can still read some of that information on the next show. Uh, and it is a lot of fun to kind of go through and see, you know, after all the films that have come out, all the animated series, uh, to just kind of think about it and see what things jump to the forefront of your mind. And as we saw with these lists, it's uh, it's not always the things that you would think it would be. It's uh, it's very diverse. It's very personal, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of a fun exercise. Um, I almost had wished as I started doing it this afternoon, kind of finalizing my list that I had narrowed it down a little bit more. But I think doing that would have caused us to have a lot more duplication. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it worked out really well the way that we did it. Yeah. yeah. No, great list. I also want to put out there. I know you brought your, his list on earlier. Tony from the uh, Disney Discussions podcast. He and his sons, uh, Sparrow and Stitch, right now are doing a three-part series where they're kind of going through what Star Wars means to them. And they've invited a lot of different podcasters on, including Michelle and myself, and uh, kind of going through. And uh, I know this ep- their episode just got released uh, today on Monday. So if you're looking for some more Star Wars content, uh, definitely go uh, check out Disney Discussions podcast as well. Absolutely. Why don't you guys go ahead and give the uh, contact information for where people can find you and how they can reach out with you? Oh, sure. Of course. Uh, Of course, we are the Hyperion Adventures podcast. And yes, we talk a lot about Star Wars, but we also talk about Disney. We talk about Marvel. We talk about the, the parks. We give vacation tips. All sorts of stuff to kind of get you ready for when you're going on vacation or when you're going to the movies or whatever. And you can find us pretty much everywhere you get podcasts. Best place to find us is our website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartMedia. And you can find us socially on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Awesome. And there's really not a lot of information this week and far as far as news goes. Uh, we're still kind of in a holding pattern for annual pass holder previews for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge down at the Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Uh, so again, I, I will think that's that coming soon, by the way. There was a I, little bit of a leak of some possibilities out there. I think I'd be keeping your eye on your email in the next few days. I think it's coming soon. Yeah, I've got a notification set up. I get text and email as mm-hmm. soon as anything hits. So uh, I will be watching out for that. And again, I will post that on our social media. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is that uh, we did start a coffee site uh, for the podcast. And I will give you that information if you want to uh, make a donation to help uh, support the show. 
So that actually can be found at coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash JTA podcast. So uh, again, if you enjoy the show and you want to reach out and support us for the price of basically a cup of coffee, uh, which is what that site's all about, feel free to do that. We'd very much appreciate it. And uh, we're going to keep doing this whether we get a dollar or not. Just for the children. We love yeah, it's for, for the, the children. children. Um, but, you know, basically what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, see if I can uh, get some funds to enhance some of our technical apparatus on my end so that it makes it a little bit easier to do some of these uh, episodes where we've got guests on. And anything that we can do to help move in that direction is going to be a giant help for the show. And it's actually going to improve the quality of the episodes. So, uh, again, if you would like to reach out and give us ideas for possible topics for future shows, um, anytime we're doing uh, these top five episodes, which we will be doing more of in the future, you can always reach us at jtapodcast at gmail.com. And we can be found on social media via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at JTA Podcast. Tom and Michelle, thank you guys so much for coming on this week. And a very special thank you to all of our listeners who took the time out of their day to send in their list. We had a great time going through all that. Uh, and we will look forward to talking with you guys all next week. So uh, tune in uh, next week. I think we're going to have a conversation and I'll put some uh, stuff up on social media uh, regarding what that next week's episode is going to be about. Give you a little bit of an idea where we're headed and we look forward to talking with you then. So thank you and may the force be with you.